Hey, Foundry Church, let's just jump right in today. We're going to talk about getting in line. What does it mean to get in line? Um, the idea to, um, to submit is being willing to follow. And it's not something that comes really easy to us in our own nature. I know in the especially violent sport of multi- mixed martial arts, uh, you, can be, uh, you can lose a match by points, you can lose it by knockout, or you can lose it by a submission hold. And it's this thing where we fight against submission, but I think it's, it's worth talking about today. What does it mean to submit our lives and follow God. Uh, Matt was telling a story. I love how Matt, uh, Pastor Matt, by the way, who, um, you know, church, you have been so awesome. Just, uh, it's fun watching you uh, as you engage with Pastor Matt as he's great growing up in his pastoral voice and doing great here and the way you just are embracing and loving on him and celebrating. It's just great. I love having Matt on staff. And uh, one of the things I love about it is he has so many strange encounters with nature. Uh, really strange ones from swans attacking him as a child to, um, you know, bad encounters on horrible snowmobiles over what appears to be a frozen lake um, to a story he was telling us when we were doing message prep uh, three weeks ago. We were looking at some of these teachings and, and getting things ready. And Matt was telling a story of when he was little and he was at a church camp out at Cranhill Ranch up north uh, by Big Rapids there. And uh, he was up north at Cranhill and he went on a trail ride on one of the horses. And so he gets on his horse and they get out. And these trails, I mean, it's not like you're out riding through the deserts of the Southwest, you know, like herding cattle. It's a pretty safe trail ride. It's it's a kids, it's a camp for young young men and women. So, you know, he was out riding. He was a little boy. He's riding this horse. And uh, his horse was d- jumpy. And it seemed just a little restless. And uh, Matt, uh, apparently, using all his bulk, uh, was pulling on the reins of the horse, uh, giving the commands for it to stay in line. And eventually, the horse kind of reared up and tore off into the woods with an attached mat on its back, screaming like an infant, just wailing out loud. And he said, the horse ran out and got in the front of the line and like they, they got it settled down and then the, the trail lead was like, no, and they took the horse by the reins, brought it back to the its place in the line. The horse was a little twitchy again and then boom, bolted again and goes off through the woods with a wailing mat at this time, just howling in in fear and terror. And eventually they get back to the barn. His mom's like, Matt, how was the ride? And he's like, I will never go on a horse again. So we now know he won't ride snowmobiles, be near frozen water. I always wondered why he ordered his cherry Coke with no ice. And, um, And he's terrified of swans. So we see this and we go, well, what was wrong with the horse? Well, when they got back to the barn, what they found out is the the person leading the trail ride didn't realize that they put a lead horse, a horse that was always in the lead, in the middle of the pack. And it refused to follow. The horse could not follow. So it just bucked, and much to the terror of this young boy um, and the terror of the kids around him, like took him on a romp through the woods. And we look at that and go, okay, that's a good, a good lens for us to settle in on. And remember that following is really an important skill to have, a discipline to, to work up. And we want to talk a little bit about just looking the part, 
right? The horse probably looked normal in the barn, but what does it mean to look the part versus being the part? When we talk today, what I'd like to do is look at how Jesus pointed out again and again, and he does it again today, that, that the true uh, the true work going on is the matter of the heart. It's a matter of the heart. You can look one way, but harbor another thing in your heart. You can smile and be pleasant and murder someone quietly on the inside in your heart, and no one will ever know. You can look like the nicest guy in the world, friendliest guy ever, and committing adultery at the same time in your heart. You can tear people to shreds inside your heart, and you can be cruel and mean in your heart and look as peaceful and nice as anybody. You can live on your own righteousness and appear really good while completely avoiding the true Christian life of receiving Christ's righteousness. And remember, a few weeks ago when Matt taught on righteousness, what he talked about was righteousness is, um, if, if it's our righteousness, it's just filth. The righteousness of Christ truly is righteous. So when we talk about this, we, we look and realize that if we are looking some way and looking like we're maybe listening to God, we look like we're listening and we're acting like we're listening, but then we don't do what God says. We don't live in what he says. Well, you may be like that horse. It may look the part, but once it gets on the trail, it lives different right? When you get out into life, you live different than God's word has called you to live. You don't follow. Christ submitted himself to the Father. Christ submitted himself to the Father. And you and I are to do the exact same. It can be very uncomfortable, but it's important. Jesus spoke about those who claimed to follow him, but would really be pursuing their own plans. Jesus warned about those kinds of people, and people who claim to listen to his teaching, but it really just goes in one ear and out the other. So let's read, again, from the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 to 29. It's, it says this, and Matt touched on this last week. It says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only, only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Do we not drive out demons in your name? Do we not perform many miracles? And then I will say to them, and I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. It's terrifying. Terrifying. Therefore, and this is the, the thing, everyone, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on a rock. I don't know about you. I grew up going to Sunday school and we had cool little songs. Do you remember the song for this one? The rains came down and the floods came up. This is the scripture where it comes from uh, about the song, the wise man built his house upon the rock and you know, the rains came down, the floods came up. Oh, I love that song. And, um, and this is where it comes from. It says this. The wise man is like a wise man who built his house on a rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, the wind blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because its foundation was on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and doesn't put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the floods came up, the wind blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great 
crash. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority, not like the teachers of the law. Jesus is speaking to two groups of people at this time. He's really dialing in on two groups of people. And literally, you've probably been in both camps. I've been in both camps. So let's, let's take a look. The first group is those who claim to be followers of Christ but are only pursuing their own agenda. They're not submitting themselves to the authority of the word of God, to the conviction of the Holy Spirit, to the transforming call of God to be remade in the image of Christ. They're asking God to endorse their plan, not seeking God to find out where he's at work and join him in it. They're asking God, hey, um, will you back this for me? I got a great idea. I don't think you had thought of it yet, right? That's, their, that's the kind of mentality. The people who want God to endorse their plan. Well, if you're doing that, who is that for? Who is that for? And who are you serving? Are you serving yourself or are you serving your heavenly father? Jesus Christ served his heavenly father. But if you're asking God to back your plan, and your agenda, whose glory do you seek? Whose agenda do you serve? It's your own. The second group, um, Jesus addresses in the difference between hearing and obeying. There's a group of people who just hear and then go, yeah, but God, will you do what I want? And another group that hear what Jesus says and they obey. They obey, they follow through. There is... Um, about to drop some science. So not good at science. But here's the thing. There is, um, there is uh, some studies done where people who read about an exercise plan, write it out, and make a plan for the future are far more likely to binge or overeat at their next meal because in their mind, they have gotten a sense of accomplishment from writing down an exercise plan. They're like, I'm gonna eat up. There's a plan in place to deal with my gluttony, right? And they go and they eat up and they overeat at their next meal. They are far more likely to do that if they've read about and put a plan in place like tomorrow my diet starts. You know, I'm gonna, I've got this plan, it's gonna be great. And, and they, they, they have a false sense of accomplishment. But they actually didn't do anything. They hadn't burned any extra calories, they started the race in the wrong direction. They had a false sense of accomplishment. They had written something down, but they hadn't put in the work to actually obey it and live it out. This is a pretty common phenomenon in areas of money, diet, exercise, and even relationships. Maybe you've had this before. I hope you have, uh, that you've, you've left church and you're like, you know what? That message really hit home. And I feel challenged. I feel kind of inspired or maybe some conviction. And yeah, yeah. And then you go home and you're like, you know what? Uh, yeah, I'm going to live into that plan of transformation. And you feel like there's an accomplishment in that feeling of hearing uh, a good teaching. <laughs> I don't know if you have, but, uh, but hearing that. You get, yeah, I heard that. Yeah, good. And you go home and you, you know, it's a proverbial overeating. You go and do the thing that literally is the anti to the, to the transformative work. You go and indulge in a sinful behavior 
that you were like, oh man, I was gonna give, I was gonna walk away. But you heard it, but maybe you didn't obey it. And what we have to do in this is look and know that there's a difference between hearing and doing. But they need to be close together. And get this, like if you hear it and immediately put it into practice, you're far more likely to continue in that behavior. But if you hear it, let me chew on that for a little bit. Oh man, that is one of my famous lines. Can I think on that, right? I love that line. And what I'm saying is, can I get out of this conversation and be done? Because I don't want to make a decision right now and I want to move on. It's, it's a gracious way, in my mind, it's not gracious at all, but it's, it's hearing, but being like, I, I just don't, I don't know what to decide. Can I, can I catch you later? Let me process that. Hearing and doing need to be close. When you hear it, obey it. Because hearing is not the same as doing. It's not the same. It can inspire doing, but when you hear it, You must begin the activity of doing. What is the point of studying God's word and how does it impact us? What is the point of it? And how does it impact us if we study it, but then we don't obey it? In Proverbs, we can look and see the impact, the value of studying God's word. Proverbs 1, verses 2 and 3. For gaining wisdom and instruction... For, for um, understanding words of insight, for receiving instruction on prudent, prudent behavior, doing what is right, just, and fair. That's what Scripture does. It is for us, for gaining wisdom and instruction, understanding words of insight, receiving instruction in prudent behavior, the doing. And then it says, doing, not thinking about, not planning, doing what is just, right, and fair. Doing it. That's what God's word is supposed to inspire in us, an active life of doing. So we study in order to gain wisdom and understanding. We learn how we should live our lives in scripture, and then we put that learning into practice. We put it into practice. We don't study, read the Bible, do, devi- do devotions, listen to messages and podcasts to make ourselves feel better. We need to be very careful as a church, as individuals, not to be entertained by good teaching. That's a dangerous place to be. If you're gonna hear the word of God, let it work in your life and inspire an action in response to the living God. Not something of like uh, almost an entertainment value that comes from us. Be careful of that. There's a character in scripture who was entertained, intrigued, challenged, and very much, um, I don't know how I would, I, I'm, I'm like missing the word for what uh, Herod was. He was almost entranced with um, uh, a prophet. His name was John the Baptist. This guy living out in the deserts of Judea, baptizing people. Herod loved to hear John teach. But John was the one preparing the way for the Messiah to come. And John the Baptist spoke out against some things that Herod had done. See, Herod had stolen his brother's wife, and John the Baptist called him out for it. And that made Mrs. Herod, I don't remember her name, Mrs. Herod was not happy about that. She was annoyed. Conviction often does that if our hearts are not soft. 
if we're guilty and we don't want to change. We'll get mad and annoyed. And she was mad and annoyed at John. She wanted Herod to do something to stop John. So in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 6, verse 20, we read this. That John, that, that John was kind of safe because Herod feared John and he protected him, knowing him to be righteous and a holy man. When Herod heard John, he was greatly puzzled, yet he liked to listen to him. He liked listening to him. And just a few verses later, we find Herod has been duped by his new wife and her daughter into um, kind of put into a frenzy. And he, he actually says, I'll give you anything. And she says, I want John the Baptist's head on a platter. And he beheaded John the Baptist. So we can tell you this. We can tell that hearing someone, even being entertained or liking it, doesn't mean you're doing it. Herod liked listening to John. It, it pricked something in his heart. It awoken something, but it waking up didn't put it into motion. It changed nothing in his heart. And if it had, if he had listened and let it and, and begin acting on it, it would have changed his life, but it didn't. Proverbs 3, verses 11, is uh, this wonderful proverb. It says this, my son, do not despise the Lord's discipline and do not resent his, his rebuke. We have said this many times, but God's discipline is a sign of his love for us. He loves us. He disciplines those he loves. Christ learned to walk following the will of the Father. He submitted himself and followed walking the Father, walking behind the will of the Father, doing as his Father desired. And for us, we fight that all the time. And the Lord disciplines us, not because he's mad, but he wants us to be like Christ and learn to follow, learn to follow him and trust him, obeying as we move forward, obeying him as we move forward. It is also listening to and submitting to God's correction where we experience the love of God. Our efforts don't mean anything if we're just taking it in and applying nothing. If you hear the discipline of God, respond to it, act on it. James, the, the brother of Jesus, wrote a book, the book of James, to the early church in Jerusalem. And this is what he said about doing, doing what God says. He says it this way. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. So can you kind of hear that? If you listen to it, and deceive yourself that changes come. Just because you hear it doesn't mean the changes come. You have to act on that. Don't just listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks in a mirror and walks away and, and forgets what they look like. They forget what they look like. But whoever looks intently at the perfect law of God, the law of freedom, and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed by what they do. When James, talk, James talks in that line, whoever looks intently into the perfect law of God, that is not looking at the Torah. 
the, the Jewish law. That is looking into the perfect fulfillment of the law of Jesus Christ. Whoever looks intently into the perfect law, the perfect person of Jesus Christ and that gives freedom and then continues in it, looks into it and then continues into it, not forgetting what they heard, but doing it, living as Christ lived, they will be blessed in what they do. Going back to Jesus' story about the wise and the foolish builders, what did the wise one do? He built his house on a solid foundation, one that doesn't move and flow. And when we build our lives on Jesus Christ, we begin to realize how solid he is by the, the shape-shifting of our culture. Our culture is moving. Its values change constantly. But Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And that solid rock is a foundation on which we can build our lives. The world's values change and flip and move all the time. The wise builder heard the words of Jesus and built his house on a rock. He put them into practice. We look at this and know that when the rains came down, the streams rose up, the winds and the rains beat against that house, it did not fall because its foundation was on the rock. When, the, when disaster struck, there was something stronger than the disaster holding things together. There was something deeper than the disaster. He was confident, the builder was confident in the foundation of that home. He was confident in what it was attached to. What is your life attached to? Proverbs 14, 32 says, when calamity comes, the wicked are brought down, but even in death, the righteous seek refuge in God. So when calamity and bad times come, the, the wicked are just brought down. But even in death, the great final thing of life, the, the righteous, they find and seek refuge. Death is not the end. They seek refuge in God. So what we're seeing in this is a promise. It's a promise that we, we are called to live at peace knowing we are attaching our lives to an eternal, unchangeable thing. We've talked a lot about peace that comes from trusting God. That, that peace is... It's solidified. It kind of gels and comes together and gets firm in our life, in obedience, in practice. It, it becomes full. It becomes complete. That peace takes up residence inside of us. And it's the peace that goes beyond our understanding. Our circumstances don't change, but our confidence in our foundation is what gives us peace through the storms of this life. You feel confident when you know you're obeying your Lord and Savior. You feel confident when your foundation is firm and unshakable. Uh, in 1999, Erica and I felt a calling to come home from Mercy Ships, to move back to Michigan, and uh, that was a shock for us. When we registered for our wedding, um, we registered for everything miniature because we were going to be living on a ship, uh, doing missions. That's what we thought we'd do. I knew God had called me to be a pastor. I just didn't know how that worked out. And I was like, well, I guess you can be a pastor and a missionary. I'm good with that. And God called us home, clearly, and we were wrestling through that, and we came home. And I'll be honest it was really hard on some friendships, really hard on some relationships 
because we left the ship sooner than, than we had signed up. We were going to be there two more years, and we felt that we were to come home. So we had, to, we had to move and do things at God's prompting, and it felt weird. I think it felt weird to our families. I, think if, I know it felt weird for the ship, for the CEO who was a close personal friend. It didn't put a rift between us, but I know it broke trust, and it was hard for him. It was hard for me. I felt embarrassed, but I knew I had to obey God. We knew we had to do this. We came home, and there was a great time of, not a great time, but a time of um, a great emptiness uh, for personal fulfillment for me as a professional person, like doing what I was supposed to do. I was, I was in school, I was in a couple of classes, but I, I was kind of directionless. I felt like I had made a mistake. I was confused. I wanted to be in ministry, but I was working this lame job. I was just frustrated. I was so frustrated. And we felt like, oh, did we make a mistake? I applied for a job as a youth pastor at a church, and the church said, well, you guys came home early from the ship. You'll probably kind of quit on us, so no. And I was like, oh, it looked like it was the wrong thing. But deep down, we had peace. Erica and I had peace that we had made the right decision. It was hard. It was hard, and we worked, and we found a role in in, uh, youth ministry, and we worked, I think, 16 years in youth ministry before starting this church. And God has done something in uh, giving some length to the vision of why he had us leave. Because this church now supports uh, an organization called YWAM Ships, which was started by my former boss, Brett Curtis, uh, the CEO of YWAM Ships. And they started YWAM Ships. And we are a missional partner with them. We support them financially and uh, just a phenomenal organization. And Brett knows, he's watched some of our teachings. He knows our love for the word of God. And he called and said, hey, I have this idea, a vision God gave me. I want to take a shipping container and I want to transform it into a digital audio Bible translation unit. You know, I was like, that's awesome. I'm all about that. And so he starts talking about it. And we as a church missionally gave generously towards that. I want you to take a look at this, this video I have um, of the container. This is a, a video Brett took of us with his little Kiwi accent getting his New Zealand on. But I want you to notice uh, the unity of the logos on the bottom of it. You, you'll see that and then I'll explain it in just a minute. What a wonderful example of collaboration from the University of the Nations to YWAM Ships to the Jesus Film, to local churches like the Foundry Church, Wycliffe, SIL, BTA, just a lot of collaboration, prayers, and finances gone into this very first oral Bible translation recording unit that is going to be used in Papua New Guinea on board the YWAM Liberty ship in the province of Medang for the next two years. We have 44 languages that we hope to have this record and we can make history together. Beautiful. Thank you so much for your efforts, your funding, your friendship, and your trust. God bless. So that was Brett, my boss back in 1999 on the Caribbean Mercy. And I will tell you this, this church supported that unit, that thing being built, really generously because we love the Word of God. 44 countries in this, in this region of Micronesia, I think it is, are going to get the Bible translated into their language because God called us home and it was a storm for us. It was even a storm relationally, but God had a bigger vision. 
And I don't know that if we had not obeyed God, if that would have come to be. But it did because we got to partner with him, Brett, all these years later in doing this thing because we were obedient in a storm. God had a plan. The foundation never shifted. It was hard. The storm beat against us and we felt like failures at times. But the reality was our foundation was unshakable. And now as I look back and we look at, um, at, at having, you know, Brett come teach here and Brett and Karen and, and sending students to YWAM uh, ships in Hawaii to do their discipleship training school and being a part of that, I love the idea that just because we have such a small vision doesn't mean that God is limited in any way by our vision. I didn't understand back then that God would do such an amazing thing with that obedience, coming home and doing what we've done in order to support what God called him to do. It's what God does. He, he, he missionally pulls us together. We are one body with many members. So when I look at this, I remember Matt's story. It is pretty funny of this child like getting taken through the forest by a horse that won't follow. But it's a terrifying reality if you and I as Christians won't follow God because that's what we do. And we put at risk vulnerable lives around us because we won't follow God's will. We think we know better in some way. When we refuse to follow God, those who are around us are subject to our kind of violent impulse to do something crazy and unsafe. Don't get me wrong. You may be a leader. I'm a leader. I get it. I get it. Being a leader is great, but I follow. I follow all the time. I, I live in under the authority of this church and the board of this church. I work, there are times where I will be in a meeting with the, like one of the leadership teams and they'll say something I disagree with and I'll say, I disagree, but I trust you. So I'm not gonna, I'm, I'm gonna follow. And that didn't come easy, but it's something God's worked on in me. You can be a leader, you just have to be a leader who knows how to follow. Because ultimately, I'm not following any man. I'm following Jesus Christ, who is following the Father. And so I'm learning to follow my Heavenly Father, step by step, day by day. We should have to follow. We must follow God. When you think about it, how silly, how arrogant and foolish are we to think that following isn't for us? Learn to walk in the wake, following in the footsteps of God's plan and see if he doesn't route the enemy off your path and bring his purposes to life in it. Pray with me. Lord Jesus Christ, we bless you for teaching us to walk following you and following our heavenly father. You showed us the way and as the author and perfecter of our faith, we seek to emulate you, Lord Jesus Christ, and do what you did. Do what you've taught us. Follow the Father, even if it doesn't make sense. Give confidence to our weary hearts, Lord. Strengthen us for an obedience that maybe no one else will understand. But Lord, if we have your peace in it, give us the courage to obey and live it out. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Foundry Church, we have learned in this series about how we walk with our Heavenly Father. We walk, we don't strut with our chest puffed out acting great. We, we don't walk around pacing, wringing our hands, worried about things. You know, we walk looking up, looking up and taking the hand of God, trusting Him. 
We, we choose and then we stride. We stride with God in his will and his purposes and we follow. We are a people who follow. We follow the will of God and the impulse of the Holy Spirit, which always does one central thing. It reveals and brings glory to the name of Jesus Christ. May that be said of us. Grace and peace to you as you go. Living this life, following the one who died to save you. He saved you from your sin that you may walk with your heavenly Father. May the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May the Lord cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face towards you and give you his peace. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, grace and peace to you as you go. Have a great week.